0: sask Egg today is brought to you by future ford in melville future ford is your
1: automotive expert from sales to service they're the ones you can trust to get you rolling again sooner Sask Egg today with doug faulkner
2: good afternoon and welcome to saskag today coming up on today's program federal politicians returned to work in ottawa today We'll hear from the Vice President of the Canadian Federation of Agriculture, Todd Lewis, and he says he'll be interested to see how Lawrence McCauley handles current ag issues now that he's been named Federal Agriculture Minister once again. The fall calf run is underway. Brenna Grant is the Executive Director of CanFax, and she'll talk about all the latest numbers there. As well, on Friday afternoon, the Yorkton Brick Mill Heritage Society turned sod to mark the start of their latest construction project. I attended that ceremony, and we will hear from a number of people who spoke at it. All of those stories and much more coming up on today's edition of Sask Today. But first, it's time for the Agriculture Outlook with Precision Weather. And that's a presentation of Milligan Bio. Milligan Bio now offers BioMeal for your livestock, giving your animals more protein, more energy, and more of what they need. It's also brought to you by Sean Prahitka, your RE-MAX Blue Chip Ag Division Specialist. Welcome back to Gang today. Like back to school for kids, it's back to parliament for federal politicians from all political stripes. Today is the first day of the fall session for MPs. From an agricultural perspective, what's old is new again, as it'll be Lawrence McCauley's first sitting as Federal Agriculture Minister since he replaced Marie-Claude Bebeau. Vice President of the Canadian Federation of Agriculture, Todd Lewis, says it'll be interesting to see how Macaulay will handle current ag issues.
1: Certainly uh, you know, labour is an ongoing issue. Uh uh, on farm, you know, temporary foreign workers, uh, n- not near as big a, an issue here in, uh, Western Canada and, uh, you know, in the grain industry, for instance, as it is in, uh, the greenhouse industry in Ontario, for instance, but, uh, it's still, uh, something that affects, has an effect right across Canada. I think, uh, other things that we'll be certainly looking at is, uh, the government's gonna what they're gonna bring forward as far as uh, continuing with the Canadian Grain Act uh, review and uh, the CGC and getting uh, that review underway and completed. I think that's uh, something else we're looking forward to too, as well, through hopefully over the next number of months. And I think also, you know, as, as uh, the, the one of the big issues, of course, for uh, the GST exemption on Bill Two, Three, Four, and uh, with the sitting Parliament sitting, it almost also means uh, the Senate is back in session as well, and we're looking forward to getting uh, that, that bill through committee at uh, Senate and passed into law.
2: Lewis believes with a minority government, private members' bills will get more attention than usual.
1: You know, I think the uh, private member bills and so on uh, that uh, will come forward uh, throughout the session are always interesting and, and within a minority parliament, uh, a lot of those private member bills can uh, get a lot more traction than they usually do. Uh, certainly the Senate and the soil health study has uh has also been, uh, interesting and there'll be consultations going on with that. So I think, uh, you know, going forward here through the, uh, through this session into the spring session, uh, it'll be interesting, as I say, what, what private member bills come through and what gain traction because, uh, that's the one, one feature of a minority parliament is that the, uh, private member bills can really have an effect on, uh, on policy. And so it'll be interesting and, uh, what's debated at the, at both the parliament and Senate over over the next six months.
2: One private member's bill to keep track of is Bill C-294, an act to amend to the Copyright Act. It would allow a person under certain circumstances to bypass a technological protection measure to access information needed to make a device or program without consequences.
1: Where we are in the North American market, uh, you know, and certainly even worldwide, as far as uh, some of the uh, technology issues and so on in in our tractors and equipment and so it's, it's something that uh, the federal government's looking at. Uh, certainly, in the United States, we see uh, some states uh, moving forward on some legislation. And uh, so yes, it's uh, it's something that's behind the scenes, but also very much so at the forefront for producers that uh, they do have that right to repair, and and uh, there will be consultations going on, you know, at committee and and uh, between the manufacturers and so on and and. Uh, Producers will have their opportunity to, uh, to present to those committees. So, so, uh, yes, it's an ongoing, uh, ongoing bill and, uh, it's always a moving target. And, uh, you know, as technology changes, uh, a lot of the, a lot of the, uh, different opportunities to, uh, fix and repair things, uh, it gets more and more difficult. And so hopefully we're going to end up with, uh, you know, a legislation that, uh, has more of a balance than, than, uh, what currently happens on, at the farm gate as far as, uh, some of the repair process on on some of the technology and being able to repair, you know, away from the manufacturers and perhaps work on on it yourself.
2: Regarding livestock issues, Lewis is interested in the Canadian Food Inspection Agency's traceability regulations and trade talks between Canada and the United Kingdom. The main issue is the UK not accepting Canada's food safety standards on beef and pork, blocking market access for Canada. It's time now for the Beef and Forage Report, and that's a presentation of Priestville Salvage. See them for new and used ag parts. Beef and Forage Report. Chicago Mercantile Exchange live cattle futures scaled to life-of-contract highs on Friday on firmer cash market prices and tight supplies of market-ready animals. Feeder cattle futures also posted contract highs across the board, drawing additional support from weaker feed corn prices. Feedlot cattle in the central and southern U.S. plains traded at higher prices last week, according to traders and the U.S. Department of Agriculture data. Traders are looking ahead to the monthly USDA cattle on feed report at the end of this week. And that's today's Beef and Forage report. It's time now for the Ag Review portion of our program, and that's a presentation of New Era Ag Technologies in Swan River. Future Ford has been serving the Melville area for over 30 years. They focus on the future. Their staff are ready for what's to come. Ford Tech is changing all the time with new vehicle technology
3: like EV, self-driving, and more. Get ready to drive into the future. Why? Because the future is
2: Future Ford. EX94, Ag review. The bill that would remove the federal carbon levy from natural gas and propane used on farms would result in nearly a billion dollar reduction in carbon tax collected from farmers by 2030. The Parliamentary Budget Officer has issued updated analysis of Bill C-234, which would remove the federal carbon levy from on-farm uses of natural gas and propane, such as grain drying and barn heating, for a minimum of eight years. The report provides updated estimates on the amount of carbon tax revenue the government would forego, and farmers would no longer have to pay if the bill is implemented. The annual figure rises from $76 million in 2023-24 to $162 million in 2030-31, coinciding with the Trudeau government's plan to increase the price on carbon emissions from $65 per metric ton in 2023 To $170 per metric tonne by 2030. Altogether, the cumulative total from 2023 to 2030 adds up to $978 million. After going into its least acre seeded since 1950, the 2023-24 Canadian flax crop is projected to be at its smallest in decades. Statistics Canada reported in its principal field crop estimates that 267,900 metric tonnes of flaxseed are expected to be produced in this year's harvest. The total not only represents a 43.4% drop from the previous year's 434,175 metric tonnes, but it would also be Canada's smallest flax crop since 1967 when 238,250 metric tons were produced. This year's Canadian flax crop would also be the second smallest since 1954. For yield, 18 bushels per acre were produced on average, the second smallest since 2005, only ahead of 13.7 bushels per acre in 2021. Last February, StatsCan had projected 500,000 metric tons for the 2023 24 crop, but hot and dry conditions on the prairies and lower prices due to a lack of competitiveness with Russia and Kazakhstan, as well as other domestic oil seeds, limited production. CN and CPKC Rail supplied a combined 92% of hopper cars ordered in grain week six a modest improvement from the previous week's 91% order fulfillment performance. The small improvement in overall performance reflects a slight decline in performance for CN and a small improvement in performance for CPKC. In supplying 88% of hopper cars ordered on time in week 6, CN saw performance decline from the 89% order fulfillment performance they posted in week 5. CN performance remains below the 90% performance threshold for the second consecutive week and for the third time in the last four weeks. CPKC order fulfillment performance improves slightly, with the railway supplying 95% of shipper orders in week 6, as compared to 93% order fulfillment performance in week 5. CPKC continues its run with now 22 straight weeks with order fulfillment performance above the 90% threshold. Two cargo ships arrived in one of Ukraine's ports over the weekend, using a temporary Black Sea corridor established by Kyiv, following Russia's withdrawal from a wartime agreement designed to ensure safe grain exports from the invaded country's ports. The vessels are the first civilian cargo ships to reach one of the Odessa ports since Russia exited the grain deal. The two ships will be delivering some 20,000 metric tons of wheat to countries in Africa and Asia. For months, Ukraine, whose economy is heavily dependent on farming, was able to safely export its grain from Black Sea ports under a deal brokered by the United Nations and Turkey to ensure safe shipments. But Russia withdrew from the deal on July 17th, with Kremlin officials arguing their demands for facilitation of Russian food and fertilizer shipments had not been met. And be sure to listen to the latest SaskGag Today podcast. It's brought to you by Future Ford in Melville. And that's the Ag Review portion of our program. Please stay tuned. SaskAg Today we will return right after these messages. Livestock Market Conditions. U.S. live cattle futures for October closed at 186.32 today. That's down 60. December live cattle closed at 191 even, down 82. October feeder cattle closed at 260.95, down 352. November feeder cattle closed at 265.42, down 270. October lean hogs closed at 83.25, up 12. December lean hogs closed at 74.42, down 67. And that's the livestock market conditions. The fall calf run is underway. Brenna Grant is the executive director of CanFax, a division of the Canadian Cattle Association based in Calgary. She spoke with SaskAgToday.com's chief agricultural editor, Kevin Hirsch. The fall calf run,
3: have we seen actually an early start to calves coming to market this year?
0: Absolutely. We've seen increased volumes uh, here in July and August, not only on our electronic sales for forward delivery into the fall, but here in August in particular, we've seen larger auction market volumes that have really indicated that the fall calf run has started early.
3: What would be the typical time for the fall calf run or the more typical time?
0: Calfron normally gets started about mid-September and goes to about mid-December uh, with the peak of it occurring in October and November.
3: So why early this year?
0: Part of what's driving that is the um, dry conditions in parts of the prairies in Western Canada where we have producers choosing to do early weaning um, and get those calves pulled off of grass early.
3: Are the high prices also encouraging producers to take advantage, fearing that maybe prices could see a decline?
0: Well, one thing that we have seen this year that we haven't seen in previous years is a larger volume of Ford delivery sales on the electronics in July and August for that september october november delivery period and that has really been um, a risk management tool that cow calf producers have taken advantage of in terms of locking in those prices early
3: where are prices at we hear that prices are are high are we the highest we've ever seen
0: yes we are we um have actually seen the prices surpass the peak uh, from 2015 um, earlier this summer and prices have continued to see strength as we move into the fall.
3: If we compare to a a year ago on say a a five or six hundred pound weight steer calf, how much uh, more gross return are we seeing than a year ago?
0: Well, prices right now are over a dollar per pound higher than they were a year ago, Um, so it's been a significant increase on the gross revenue side for producers.
3: Now costs also go up, and I know you guys do a lot of cost of production analysis, but it it tends to take time to get get results, but uh, from a preliminary look at it, are there also profitable margins given the higher costs?
0: Yeah, so actually with these record high prices, we are projecting that cow-calf margins in both Alberta and Ontario are going to be the highest we've seen since 2015. Uh, and our cow-calf cost production network recognizes that, you know, no one's average. We have a variety of production systems across the country. But our projections are that with all of the different production systems in that Cost production network um, that all of them would be able to cover cash costs this fall, and that a large majority would be covering both cash and depreciation costs.
3: Some producers thinking of retirement may look at high prices and, and say this is the, the time to exit the business. Other producers uh, will look and say this is a, a great time for profitability. It's It's time to expand. What do you expect for the beef breeding herd? Are we going to continue to contract or can we turn around and go the other way?
0: So I think there's a short-term story here where probably on January 1, we will be down with a contraction. And part of that is we've seen our yearling run show um, large heifer placements into feedlots. And so this summer, uh, that decision was already made in terms of the breeding herd, but there's still optimism, uh, you know, for younger producers that are looking at these margins and saying, I wanna grow my herd to retain calves this fall. And with that, while we may be down on January 1st, we have an opportunity that come 2025 that the herd would start to grow.
3: Are cull-cow prices holding up okay?
0: Cull-cow prices have been record high this summer and they continue to see support. Yes, we're expecting to seasonally decline as we go into the cow run this fall, but they've really been supported by strong consumer demand for ground beef.
3: Now, the billion dollar question probably would be how long will the good profitability in the cow-calf sector remain? Is this a short-term blip or does the analysis suggest that good prices can be maintained into the foreseeable future?
0: Well, really, this market is being driven by tight North American cattle supplies. And with the placement um, of yearling heifers this summer, that really is a locked-in next year's production. And the fact that we're going to continue to be tight across North America and continue to support high prices into 2024. Um, Once we get into the second half of 2025 and beyond, it really depends on heifer retention this fall of those heifer calves. And so we have at least two solid years and maybe a third before we see um, price pressure come from expansion of the North American cow herd.
3: Now, pork is quite a bit cheaper than beef, and, and hog producers have been uh, suffering with negative margins much of the time. Uh, how How is it that beef prices can be maintained when a competing major competing red meat is so much less expensive.
0: Yeah, we've been um, surprised By the North American consumers' um, resilience and uh, desire to keep beef on the center of the plate, and that's something that we like to see. Uh, But we've also seen, as mentioned, you know, that switching down in categories towards ground beef, and that's some of the consumer response to general food inflation and um, having their pocketbook pinched with higher grocery prices. But some of the research that was done in the United States back with the record high prices in 2014-15 really showed that on the beef side of things uh, we may have dropped off the lower income consumer but we retained the high income consumer that was less likely to switch to other proteins and um, was really willing to pay that price to continue eating beef. In contrast, uh, the pork sector um, has been um, harder-hit overall demographics uh, during this time period. And um, those things vary uh, from one commodity to another.
2: Brenna Grant is the executive director of CanFax, a division of the Canadian Cattle Association based in Calgary. She spoke with SaskAgToday.com's chief agricultural editor, Kevin Hirsch. Please stay tuned, Saskag Today will return in one minute's time. Welcome back to Saskag Today, I'm Doug Falconer. It's sunny and 23 degrees in the Yorkton-Melville region. I'll have your complete weather details coming up at the top of the hour. On Friday afternoon, the Yorkton Brick Mill Heritage Society turned sod to mark the start of their latest construction project they're building an interpretive station next to the historic flour mill which turned 125 years old this year. It's a combined interpretive center and event space. The first guest speaker was Yorkton MLA Greg Ottenbright.
4: It's a pleasure to be here on behalf of the Saskatchewan government today to acknowledge the 125th anniversary of the brick mill but also that that historic along with that historic anniversary is again the kickoff the saw turning for this uh, historic build that's going to serve this uh, this community and quite frankly the area and the province for many years to come.
2: Yorkton Mayor Mitch Hipsley was next to speak.
4: Everyone, this has been a very long journey of tenacity, courage, commitment, determination and above all vision from an incredible group of Yorkton citizens that believed in the importance of this building. The site where Yorkton gathered at the turn of the century, almost everyone who came to Yorkton came to this site. They came here to grind their flour, or grind grind their grain into flour. This was the center of Yorkton's universe at the time. It's hard to believe that we're here once again, 125 years later, thanks to the entire committee. The Brick Mill Committee is writing a brand new chapter generations to come no question about it I do believe it'll be here another 125 years from now as well it's people like this committee that make Yorkton what it is this is what community is this is what we do and this is why we are here today I have zero doubt that this will once again become a space that will become a hub but this time for tourism the history of agriculture will be taught here via tours and storyboards. After all, Yorkton is here because of agriculture. And it continues to grow and flourish because of agriculture. And believe it or not, our city phones are still ringing and continue to ring regarding agricultural potential possibilities, which I can't tell you anything about, but it is happening. I'm very proud of that. City Council is very proud to be a partner in making this happen with many many meetings, cooperation, help on little things that we can do and consultations and the much needed financial support as well of course. On behalf of all of our City Council, we are in ec- ecstatic to witness this incredible milestone event in the city of Yorkton.
2: Isabella Soup, the chief of the Yorkton Tribal Council, also addressed the crowd.
4: I'm so sure the people
0: who built this brick mill didn't realize that the contribution that they were making to history and to the city of York and then to Saskatchewan, you know. So, um, if us as First Nation people want non-Indigenous community to to uh, know the history of our First Nation people, it's our responsibility to help contribute to the other to the other contribute the other history that came after. The First Nation
2: people. Ken Propp of Harvest Meats in Yorkton also spoke of the relationship between the first agricultural pioneers to the Yorkton area and the First Nations people. In
5: In 1898 when John J. Smith built this mill, I don't believe in his wildest dreams he would have thought that Yorkton would become such an international powerhouse of agricultural processing with the likes of grain millers,
2: T.A. Foods,
5: LDC, and Richardson. How fitting it is for the very seed sown by J.J. Smith that has become such an important symbol of Yorkton's past and its future in the agricultural sector. As a 70-year resident of the City of Yorkton, and also the grandson of the founder of what is now Harvest Meats, I would like to share a story that was relayed me to Dave Harris Wetson, retold by Carmen Smith, the grandson of J.J. Smith, the founder of the mill. In the late 1800s, when the young entrepreneur from England, J.J. and his wife arrived in York Colony, they had no idea of the harsh reality of living a winter in their new land. They were totally unprepared for the hostile winter conditions they had to endure. He credits their very survival. Help they received from the indigenous peoples of what is now Treaty Four Lands. How magical that is that the descendants of these same indigenous people have stepped up physically and financially to help save, support, and restore this unique historic piece of Yarmouth's past. A big thank you to the executive past and present and the current directors for their commitment and foresight into repurposing this facility and helping us all to remember our past. Thank you also to all the many sponsors with gifts in kind and financial contributions that have taken a dream and turned it into a
2: reality. Finally, Terry Tyson of Grain Millers Canada in Yorkton says their business also chose to get involved in the project.
1: When the committee distilled some vision down into the, into the new build that included advocacy for agriculture and agri-food, that is kind of what, what we have. Um, you know, sort of one of the core streams of our community involvement is is uh, involved in that advocacy, if you want to call it that. So that was really an integral move and I think it, it really puts some wind in our sails and um, could, you know caused us to write a check and I think also it caused us to decide that this is something that I, I could put my time into as well.
2: Work on the interpretive station is scheduled to begin this fall. The fundraising committee still needs to raise another $300,000 to complete the $2.1 million dollar project. The Yorkton mill is the last remaining brick, brick flour mill in Saskatchewan. We Commodities Update. The Commodities Update is a presentation of Ducks Unlimited Canada. Ducks is offering a new winter wheat program package that will help with your crops yield and water retention. The winter cereal program package comes with agronomic advice from seeding to harvest and more. Well, canola futures closed down rather sharply right across the board Today, November canola closed at $742 per metric ton, down $21.90. January canola closed at 750.70, down $21.80. December Minneapolis wheat still trading at 774 per bushel, down 15 cents. December Kansas City wheat closed at 735 per bushel. Down eleven and a half cents December Chicago wheat closed at five ninety one and a quarter down thirteen cents December corn closed at four seventy one and a half down four and three quarters of a cent November soybeans closed at thirteen sixteen and three quarters down twenty three and a half cents. December oats closed at 4.54 per bushel, down $0.25. Cents. And that's the Commodities Update. Please stay tuned, gang. Today will return right after these messages. Five, four. Commodities Update. The Commodities Update is a presentation of Ducks Unlimited Canada. Ducks is offering a new winter wheat program package that will help with your crops' yield and water retention. The winter cereal program package comes with agronomic advice from seeding to harvest and more. Well, canola futures closed down rather sharply right across the board today. November canola closed at $742 per metric ton, down $21.90, January canola closed at seven hundred fifty seventy, down twenty one dollars eighty cents. December Minneapolis wheat still trading at seven hundred seventy four per bushel, down fifteen cents. December Kansas City wheat closed at seven hundred thirty five per bushel, down eleven and a half cents. December Chicago wheat closed at five ninety one and a quarter, down thirteen cents. December corn closed at 471 and a half, down 4 and 3 quarters of a cent. November soybeans closed at 13.16 and 3 quarters, down 23 and a half cents. December oats closed at 454 per bushel, down 25 cents. And that's the commodities update. Please stay tuned. gang. Today will return right after these messages. 5 four. Farm Bulletin Board. The 34th Annual Grain Millers Harvest Showdown is fast approaching. It'll be run uh, November 1st to the 4th on the Yorkton Exhibition Grounds. There will be free admission to Harvest Showdown as well as the trade show. There's also a grain show a uh, forage show, a pedigreed seed show, Breeders' Alley, a cattle show and sale, a chore team competition, horse pulls, ranch rodeo, stock dog competition. There will be school tours, 4-H clinics, as well as a senior supper and dance. So lots to see and do. That's the 34th Annual Grain Millers Harvest Showdown coming up November 1st to the 4th on the Yorkton Exhibition Grounds. And Saskag Today is always available on podcast. Listen to past shows whenever you want. Find them easily by going to gx94radio.com. Also, you can hear the podcast on your Amazon Echo. Just enable the GX94 skill and choose Saskag Today. And yes, it is free. It's now coming up on 1 o'clock in Saskatchewan, 2 o'clock in Manitoba. Time to check the GX94 precision weather forecast for the Quill Lakes, Hudson Bay, Swan River, Broadview, Mooseman, Indian Head and Yorkton, Melville, Roblin, Russell regions today. Mainly sunny, winds west-southwest at 10 to 20 and a high of 27 degrees. For tonight, mainly clear, winds west at 10 and a low of 10. For tomorrow, partly sunny, winds west-northwest at 15 to 30, gusting over 40 at times, a high of 21, an overnight low of 5. For Wednesday, mainly sunny, winds west-northwest at 15 to 30, and a high of 21. For Thursday, sunny skies, a high of 20, and Friday sunny, a high of 16. In the Paw it's 20 degrees. Swan River, Dauphin, Brandon, Shaw Lake, Russell and Roblin all reporting in at 22. Regina is at 23, Saskatoon 22, Hudson Bay 19, Broadview Mooseman 26, Indian Head 24, Winyard, Wadena, Kelvington 21. The Yorkton-Melville region has a sunny sky. A south wind at 15 kilometers an hour, 40% is the relative humidity, the temperature is 23 degrees. That's your agriculture weather, and that'll do it for SaskAg Today for today. Be sure to tune in again tomorrow at 12.15 Saskatchewan time for another edition of the program. It's time now for the news and sports headlines. Saskeg Today has been brought to you by
1: Future Ford in Melville. Future Ford is your automotive expert. From sales to service, they're the ones you can trust to get you rolling again sooner.